Hi, I'm Adela, the founder of Podcast Brunch Club. We're doing the Roundup episode a little differently this month. Rather than Sarah and I having our regular Roundup discussion, we're handing over the mics to Stevie and Jenna, two leaders of our PBC chapters. Stevie heads up our Minneapolis chapter, and Jenna co-leads our virtual chapter. This is a really fun experiment for us because it's showcasing our awesome members around the world. I started PBC because I love podcasts, but I keep doing it because it's creating community and connection. So this is just another way to facilitate a conversation between people and give us a little insight into the different members of our group. So I love every minute of PBC because I'm helping to create personal connections, often between complete strangers. Before PBC, Stevie and Jenna did not know each other. And that just gives me the warm fuzzies in a major way. I have really big plans for the future of PBC. I want to bring it to schools. We've already got a few library chapters, and I'm even thinking about how to bring it to senior living facilities. But I really need your help. Please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcastbrunchclub, or just give a one-time donation. I'll provide the links for both options in the show notes. Okay, enjoy the discussion. there, Podcast Brunch Club. I'm Stevie, leader of the Minneapolis Podcast Brunch Club and contributor of much of the audio content you hear on the PBC Podcast. Sarah and Adela were kind enough to hand over the reins for the Roundup episode this month to Jenna Spinelli and I. A little bit about me, I am a freelance podcast producer. Any given week, you can find me juggling anywhere between 15 to 20 podcasting clients and releasing Way too many podcasts, but it's good work if you can get it. Hey, Jenna, how you doing? Hey, Stevie, I'm good. How are you? Thanks for uh, inviting me to do this. I'm looking forward to our fake news discussion today and talking about our playlist. A little bit about me. I am one of the leaders of the PBC virtual chapter, which um, we meet online every month in Zoom. We have members from around the world that come together to discuss the monthly playlist. I also teach journalism at Penn State and host and produce a podcast called Democracy Works, which is all about what it means to live in a democracy. So, you know, the themes this month, Stevie, are very near and dear to my heart as a journalist and as somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about democracy. So lots to to unpack here today, for sure. Well, for any new listeners to Podcast Brunch Club, PBC is like a book club, but for podcasts. We have 70 chapters on six continents, and we meet every month to discuss a playlist that's curated by one of our groups. You can visit us at podcastbrunchclub.com to sign up for your local chapter. This month's theme was on disinformation and fake news. The list was curated by our members of our Milwaukee chapter, and you can find the playlist at podcastbrunchclub.com slash fake news. You want to tell us a little bit about what was on the list, Jenna? Yeah, sure. There were five episodes on this month's playlist. We heard an episode called Propaganda Armies, which is from the Raw Data podcast. We heard an episode called Disinformation and Deep Fakes from a podcast called Power Corrupts. We heard Fake News is Solvable from the podcast Solvable. We heard How to Save the 2020 Election, Stopping Fake News from the podcast Function with Anil Dash. And then finally, we heard Fake News and Origin Story from Hidden Brain. 
You know, this is on the one hand, you know, a, a really big topic to try to condense down into a podcast playlist in five episodes. But I thought that, you know, on the whole, these episodes really did a good job of unpacking a lot of what these terms even mean and also presenting a good spectrum of, of how we got here, what's happening now and what changes are trying to happen and, you know, what might be in store down the road. No, I totally agree. I really appreciated the focus on history as well. Because sometimes I feel like this topic of fake news and disinformation feels like it's so new, especially because we're living in this really new age of social media and the internet. You know, I'll say as a, on a personal note, I'm not someone who works actively in journalism. I work with a lot of journalists and writers. Most of the time I'm working on the production end of things. And, you know, I'm more of a media consumer. And a lot of what's going on in the news and bandying about the word fake news really hits me personally in a lot of ways. I grew up in Wisconsin, and over the last 15 years, I've moved away, and I've come back to the Midwest, and I really saw this total shift in the politics of my state, and a lot of my family now is very adamant about distrusting the media, and it's really kind of concerning seeing as I actually work actively in media, and I happen to consume a lot of what I would call credible news sources, and I, I kind of look at journalism as something that's actually keeping the balance of power when it comes to like our current political climate. So I really was grateful to hear more about just where we've been, for better or worse, in terms of credibility, objectivity, and fake news. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've I've definitely heard similar things, whether it's it's from people in in my family or even from my students that are just like, yeah, there's just so much out there, so much content out there. We don't know what to believe sometimes, which is from like the the propaganda perspective or from like the the disinformation perspective that's precisely the goal. I mean, the goal is not always to get people to believe the the disinformation or or misinformation or fake news. It's just to sow enough confusion that people just tune out. And once that like tuning out happens, then they're not as civically engaged, they're not as concerned about what's happening in their country and their community and from a, a democracy perspective, that makes it all the easier for authoritarian governments, for kind of strong men leaders to come in and enact their power and, and gain more power because you have this confused slash disinterested public. So it's really dangerous. And it's like death by a thousand small cuts with, you know, every story that just adds to, to the sense of confusion. Well, I really appreciate you quantifying my terror and fear right now. <laughs> I try. I try. <laughs> but that's honestly, that's why I really appreciate talking to you is because, um, you know, as a journalism instructor, you're actually educating people on how to generate credible journalism. How do you handle fake news in this current age in the classroom? So I teach an introductory level class. It's a, it's a 200 level class. I have about 20 students per semester, mostly sophomores. And so I spend a lot of time actually covering the importance of trust and credibility and, you know, what it means to cultivate good sources and, and talk to people. I think that what's really lost sometimes is that it's really easy to generate fake news or to perpetuate things that are false if you're just like Googling things and like regurgitating what you find somewhere else. But if you get out and talk to people and, and get to know them and understand their story and where they're coming from and their perspective, 
that's so much more valuable to readers. And it's also a great safeguard against some of that, that disinformation. Now, with that said, you still have to have a healthy dose of skepticism because human beings, we don't always tell the truth all the time. And so you have to be kind of diligent that way. But, you know, I try to emphasize getting out and, and talking to people and trying to understand something for yourself to the extent that you can versus, you know, relying on, on what you might find in, in various sources online that may or may not be credible. Well, you know, I'm 34. I feel like as like a older millennial, I am straddling the age of the internet and the old days of cable news, newspapers, and I look at news and was always kind of raised as, you know, I get my news from credible news sources. When I think of where I'm going to get my news, it is going to be from a New York Times, a Washington mm -hmm. Post, an NPR, uh, even, you know, ABC News. I've always been a little leery of the CNNs and the Foxes, uh, those mm -hmm. networks, um, especially growing up in the age of the Iraq War and a lot of distrust in my younger years. But with that shift, I mean, in the classroom, what are the students turning to right now? in terms of news they trust? And what are they kind of idolizing or looking up to as their examples of good news? Yeah, I mean, I think they they tend to gravitate more toward following individual reporters, whether it's, you know, sports writers, if they're interested in sports, or, you know, political reporters, if they're interested in politics, lifestyle or entertainment, if they're interested in that. And so that I think that really speaks to like that shift that's coming one generation down from you and I, you know, what Generation Z is doing. And in, in some ways, I think that's also kind of problematic. Like when I came up through journalism school and was, was working as a, a journalist early in my career, like we were always kind of taught that, you know, as, as a reporter, you keep yourself out of the story. It's not, it's, it's not about you. It's about the people you're interviewing. And now, you know, with, with reporters really basically having to build their own profiles on, on Twitter and be their own brand in addition to representing whatever news organization they work for, their take on things, their thoughts, their opinions are, are inevitably going to get mixed in with the reporting that they do. And I think in some level that, that maybe leads to some of that distrust. If you see that, you know, someone is tweeting, about President Trump, for example, maybe they, they disagree with him, but they're still covering him. Like, how do you kind of reconcile those two things? And so I try to reinforce to my students that the story is not about you and about what you think about it. That doesn't mean that you can't have a, a perspective or, or come at it from a, a particular point of view. We can, we can talk about, about object, objectivity and, and that, that whole thing if you want, but, organizations like like the Knight Foundation have pointed to that as as part of you know some of the things that are like eroding trust in in the media but I will get off of this soapbox now and uh, people haven't pushed pause or you know 30 seconds skip ahead thank you for uh, sticking with me on it well I think it's such a great perspective I um again I feel like I'm a bit of a layman in terms of media um this playlist this month was very eye-opening I'll actually take a moment real quick to talk about a podcast that was not on this month's playlist um, because you had said something that really resonated with me. Um, there's a podcast from transom.org, which is a great resource for independent audio producers. And it's called How Sound. And in the latest episode, they actually talked about the idea of the first person in journalism. 
And it was this long history of whenever you reported on something, you would never say I. I was never included in journalism. It was very. It was taught that you don't. You know, kind of the going rule was this reporter saw or this reporter mm -hmm. feels this way or this reporter experienced this. So the fact that you kind of pointed out that a lot of the reporters are shifting the story more to them and you know from their perspective is is really an interesting trend and that I may not have really kind of realized. I, I don't really know if that's something that's happened in the past. Is, is it really related to social media? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I would point to for sure. And I just think it's also like as news organizations are continuing to cut jobs and lay people off, reporters have to be more entrepreneurial. They have to hustle just like everybody else. So you have to like have your own newsletter and your own podcast and like do all of these things. So I think there's some economic pressure there too. But you talking about transom made me think of there's there's a great podcast. It's on the the critical frequency network called the View from Somewhere, which uh, really advocates for the the notion that you know journalism should be more than just well one side says this and the other side says this and you have to like decide for yourself. Their proposition is that doing that kind of both sidesism um, leads to bad faith actors or or people that are trying to to undermine different communities of people or or values that that are typically associated with democracy it just just allows them to have free reign because there's no one really checking them or pushing back or saying no this isn't true or you're miscalculating you're misstating this so if you want to like dive more into this notion of of objectivity in news i would recommend checking out the view from somewhere well, that brings up a really good point of bad actors, right? I think a lot of times when we phrase fake news, we're talking about somebody who's actively trying to disinform the public. And to talk about this month's playlist, I really like the historical aspect, like I had mentioned before. I think the Hidden Brain episode did a really great job of just putting together where we came from. And, you know, right now we have what seems like outside interests that are trying to either just stir the pot and make things a little bit too confusing but looking all the way back to like uh, in hidden brain they talked about the late 19th century and kind of the yellow press and basically people were generating news that just spoke to their audience whether it was true or not and um that seems so similar to the world we live in now in terms of just a new media form i mean when you finally have a situation where you can print news and deliver it in a very economical way like was happening around the turn of the 18th to 19th century uh, 19th to 20th century people were just trying to learn what all the rules were and i, th I think it took us 100 years to really figure that out and now we've come to the internet age and you know raw data and function both talked about how you have these tech companies like facebook that originally started off as just a way to share pictures with friends and i remember when i was younger when facebook just came out it was just a way to share pictures with friends after last night's house party. Uh, and then it turned into this whole other thing where it's our main source of news now. And I really think these tech companies are all of a sudden being flipped on their heads and they're taking on this whole new role. And I don't know how quickly they're going to figure this out or how quickly we're going to figure it out. But if history is anything to go by, it might take a while. Do you have any impressions on that kind of shift or how it relates to history? Yeah. So, I mean, I um, really appreciated the uh, historical perspective too. Um, but, you know, thinking about Facebook, I think that there was 
a few things that happened. And I, I talked about this a little bit in my, my interview that I did for the PBC podcast with, with Adil Dash, the host of Function sometime around like, I know 2011, 2012, there, you know, Facebook introduced the newsfeed, um, where it started delivering content to people in this like streamlined way that, that, that we think about it now. It was, you know, you could share links, you could do, you know, more than as you were saying, Stevie, just sharing pictures or looking up to see who was in your college class, those kind of things. So that happened with the newsfeed. And then there was also the Facebook fan pages that happened and boosted posts and all of those kind of things followed. So, you know, publishers at the same time were like hemorrhaging money because traditional advertising sources were, were, were drying up. Everything was shifting to digital. So they were looking for a way to kind of like cash in and keep themselves going. And so they, they pivoted to these social platforms and really gave them control over curating who sees their, their content or not. And it all became very like algorithmically controlled. And I think that's a lot of like what we're, we're still grappling with today. And the, the platforms frankly don't have a lot of economic incentive or really any economic incentive to, to change their behavior. They're still making lots and lots of money from, you know, political advertising and, and all kinds of advertising. So, um, without any type of real government oversight, there's really, I mean, if I were Facebook, I probably wouldn't be, be super inclined to change either, you know, cause it's not, there's no one really pressuring them to, to do so. Where does that really leave us? I mean, at the top of the episode, I shared my personal struggle with my family, you know, and we've all had the experience of going home for Thanksgiving and, you know, your wily uncle that wants to tell you about, you know, aliens or something. But I don't know. I, I sometimes I can be really distraught that, you know, with, oh, these these social media networks, that's where we turn on to our news. And now we're just going to be relying on whatever comes out of them and journalism just out the window. I don't know. Got any got any positive words? Maybe something that's going the right direction? Yeah, Jenna? sure. So, you know, I'm really hopeful about two things. One is the growth of nonprofit news sites. Seems like I, I hear about new ones cropping up all the time. There's this great organization called States Newsroom that is setting up nonprofit news sites in state capitals. So we have one here where I am in, in Pennsylvania called the Penn Capital Star that covers our state capital in, in Harrisburg. And there's, you know, I don't know, dozens of these things all across the country and coverage of state government really, really, really suffered as a result of the, the shifting economics of, of the, the news media. Um, you know, papers and, and TV stations and what have you couldn't afford to have a reporter, you know, living and kind of based out of the, the state capital. So that went away. And then really, well, there was a, a big vacuum, which leads to all kinds of shady activity going on and no one to really hold those state lawmakers accountable. So I think that model, I think most major cities have at least one or two nonprofit sites. They're funded by foundations or subscriptions or, you know, some, some combination they're in. So I'm hopeful about that. I'm also seeing a lot of reporters really getting hyper specific on particular topics and starting newsletters about them that are, are gaining traction. Again, that's a, you're reaching a very self selected audience, but, you know, similar to, to, to podcasts, people are going to start to, to seek out this content that is, little bit more curated. It's a little bit more direct from the source. Anil Dash in our, our interview uh, referred to it as locally grown news. I think we, we went on this big like 
metaphor about factory farms versus farm to table news and, and all this stuff. So you know where it comes from as opposed to some random site that you, you click off of from, from Facebook or, or Twitter or, or Google. You know, you brought up a really good point that maybe should give me some hope as mm. well. The other day when we were speaking, how groups like PBC are a pretty good example of how one-on-one connections are really get, great way to level the playing field. You know, it gives people an opportunity to really engage with each other. For the longest time, people depicted the internet as us all going into our homes and escaping from each other and not interacting in the way that we used to in the old days. But really, social media is kind of bringing us all back together, albeit differently. And our you know new groups are forming and in a new way. Maybe that is a really great positive spin on the direction we're heading. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, anytime you can get in front of people, you know, it's it's really easy to like have an argument with someone on the Internet. Right. Whether it's about, you know, if you're trying to like debate some conspiracy theorist or something or even just arguing about whatever the latest political story of the day is, those those arguments happen online all the time. But it's it's much more nuanced when you're talking with someone in person. You you get to know them. You get to understand where they're coming from. And groups like Podcast Brunch Club are are using social media and the internet in the best way possible, which is to facilitate a connection in real life. And I I've had this conversation with Adela, and I know that that's very much on on her mind. It was in her mind when she created Podcast Brunch Club, and it's still very much part of the the ethos of the organization today. The other thing I mean to play devil's advocate is that, you know, this community's Facebook in particular has undergone this like pivot to private. I've seen it called in, in like industry publications and things where a lot of, of activity on the platform is now happening in closed groups. So there's, you know, every once in a while you'll see a story come out in, in a mainstream outlet about some like flat earther group or anti-vaxxers or all these things. And this, they're also like, places where these things just fester. And I think the solvable episode that we listened to really talked about this. The woman who was the, the guest on the episode talked about her own struggle to find information about vaccinations for her child and getting caught up in all this. And now she's part of the group that's working on figuring out how to combat that. You know, it's, it's really hard to argue facts and science with someone who makes this this personal appeal about their child who who has autism after getting a vaccine so how can the kind of science community and the and the the medical community adopt some of those same tactics but in in the name of, of vaccinations in this case i think you're, you you could see that with with climate change or, or any any other like conspiracy that tends to to propagate online well, I guess we take the good with the bad. Um, yeah, and I do yeah. want to say, I, I apologize to any flat earthers out there who may be listening. Um, I don't yeah, mean any right. offense. I hope you come to our meetings and I get to speak to you in person. Yeah, yeah. No, I would, I mean, I'd love to, to engage that, that discussion. And yeah, just, I think it is all about understanding why people believe what they do. And, and even if you don't agree or have your mind changed, hopefully you'll come away with at least a better understanding. But um, before we we wrap up, Stevie, I did want to to ask you. I mean, you you've said before that you are you work kind of tangentially to to journalism. You're like journalism adjacent as as a podcast producer and pretty conscious and pretty you know voracious news consumer. I'm wondering if you see things differently now, or or you you had your mind changed or saw any new perspectives as a result of uh, of what we listened to this month. 
Well, yeah. Well, speaking a little bit about what I do as an independent producer, you know, this age of the podcast boom that we live in almost verifies what I've always said about the internet age. Like ever since the internet became a thing in the 90s, I always believed that the freedom of information was going to set everyone free. You know, then no politician can hide behind doors and everyone will have a voice and, you know, communities will be brought together. Granted, we stumble a little bit on that point <laughs> because people have taken advantage of the platforms. But, you know, what I do is I work with so many independent content creators. And I think there's something just so beautiful. And I, I get a little bit romantic sometimes, so forgive me. But I think there's something truly beautiful about somebody who's passionate about a topic, whether it be architecture or an entrepreneur or a writer who likes to talk about new literature that's coming out. And giving them a voice to talk to their community, I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like people may be a little bit distracted because they're finally being given an opportunity to access these interests that we've all hold in a way that's totally new. I mean, in the past, you might like celebrity culture or something, but you're just going to pick up a magazine at the store. Well, now you can plug in and hear on demand you know, interviews with these people that you like to hear from. And... Um, this playlist this month really gave me much more of a critical look at just the tech companies. I mean, I think that was the biggest eye opener for me. You know, just thinking that whether or not Mark Zuckerberg is a crooked, money hungry billionaire, <laughs> I still think it was a shift for him who created this this organization. And he's just the best example. I mean, I know each social media platform probably has a person or a group of people that are making that shift. Platforms are realizing that journalism is happening on their platform, and you know that that was really what I kind of took out of took out of this whole playlist. Yeah, and and you know we are also starting to see tech companies invest in in traditional media. Uh, I know Facebook has pledged something like three hundred million dollars toward local news throughout the country. I, I believe Google has done something similar. So. A cynic would say it's, it's just a drop in the bucket for them and it's just they're just doing it for some good PR. But there is ostensibly some good that's that's going to, to come from it as well. And the other thing, too, I think the you know, people are starting to, to realize kind of the, the toxic effects that social media can have on their lives. They're, they're choosing to, to disconnect more, um, you know, where I I was looking. So I, I shared in the uh, podcast brunch club Facebook group. Um, some, some reporting or some, some research from the, the Neiman lab, which is like a, a journalism research consortium. And, um, they, they found or what a, a study that they shared found that, um, Facebook engagements fell from 160 million a month in 2016 to 60 million a month in mid 2018. So that's a hundred million fewer engagements on Facebook over the course of like a year and a half. So wow. it'll be interesting to see um, if if that continues, you know, as maybe as we head toward the election, people are going to start ramping it back up again. So, you know, maybe this will just kind of, it'll be like a, a fire that like burns itself out over time. We'll have to kind of keep an eye on that. Well, as we round out the episode here, I think it's time for us to diverge as Adela likes to call it. Yeah, we have a playlist. But I love listening to podcasts, and I'm more excited just to talk about what I'm listening to. But I'll let you go first, Jenna. Do you want to share a podcast or two with the listening audience? Sure. So if you enjoy some of the themes that 
were covered in, in this month's playlist and you want to dive more into trust and the media and, and journalism, what the, what the future of journalism is, there's, there's a great podcast called Out of the Echo Chamber. It is a, a partnership between the Knight Foundation and the Gallup organization. So they kind of combine Gallup being a public opinion polling organization and the, the Knight Foundation does a lot to support democracy and, and local media. So they, they cover all those topics, it's super wonky, but if you want to like dive deeper into that, um, that's great. The other one that, that I'll recommend, it's called Inside the Newsroom. It is an independently produced podcast by a journalist named Daniel Levitt, who is at The Guardian, I believe, in, in the, the UK, but he just brings journalists on to talk about their processes, you know, people from legacy media organizations, people that have newsletters, um, people from BuzzFeed, CNN, ProPublica, and they just just talk about what they do. So if you really want like a window into to what it takes to produce news in 2020, I would recommend checking that out. What about you, Stevie? What are you listening to these days? Well, I just want to talk about one podcast that basically started my podcast listening and still continues to be my weekly ritual. Um, every Friday, WNYC releases On the Media, which is like just a shining example of what can happen in the audio platform. So Brooke Gladstone and Bob Garfield produce this podcast that's just about everything on the media. And if you haven't heard of it already, I highly suggest listening to it. It's just so well produced and the way it's edited and the compelling stories they break down everything that's happened over the course of the last week and also do incredibly engaging and interesting deep dives into topics. I'll just highlight one thing that they do. So as an example, they're really trying to help the listener break down the news and understand it in a more critical way. So one of the fun things they always do, whenever there's like a really big breaking news thing, they put together these things that they call the Breaking News Consumer's Handbook, which I think is so awesome. So it's almost like a how to consume the news list, which is really awesome. Mm. So they've done um, breaking news consumers handbook storm edition, such as like, you know, big storms, breaking news consumers handbook, protests, fake news, uh, you know, public shootings. Uh, the latest one was breaking news consumers handbook Mueller edition, which I'll go through a couple of these really quickly. Um, the first one is number one, collusion isn't the whole story. There are 50 shades of corruption. Number two, Monitor your bias. Stories like, quote unquote, links to Russia are hard to source, but easy to buy. You know, sometimes it's easy just to hear these talking points and these talking heads giving us the same stuff over and over and, and not, not to question it. So this things like this really help you slow down, pick apart what you're listening to and have a critical ear. Those sound great. I'm going to like share those with my students for sure to bring it all the way back around to where we started talking about uh, teaching journalism. Those sound like great resources for the classroom. All right. Um. It's been a lot of fun talking to you, Jenna. Yeah, yeah, likewise. I'm glad we we could do this. When's your next meeting? Uh, so the virtual chapter um, holds usually three meetings um, per month. We meet the the last weekend-ish of the month. So I, I am hosting a meeting on Friday, January 24th uh, at noon Eastern time. 
And you can uh, join us at bit.ly, so bit.ly slash pbcvirtual. That goes directly to the Zoom space that we use. And I usually try to post it in the Podcast Brunch Club Facebook group as well. I know that Noemi, my co-lead, she is based in Europe and usually hosts meetings that cater more to like the Europe-Asia time zone. So I'm not recalling right offhand right now when those are, but um, I will definitely share them in the uh, Podcast Brunch Club Facebook group and we can maybe put them in the show notes for this episode too. So cool. Yeah, and I'm doing my meeting a little bit early this month. We're having ours this Sunday here in Minneapolis. If you're in the area, uh, come on down to, uh, well, you'll have to join the group and I'll tell you where it is. (laughs) So is there any uh, links you want to just push uh, before we exit the show here about uh, where people can find you or contact you? Uh, sure. So you can find the, the show I, I host about democracy. It's called Democracy Works. Just search for that in your favorite podcast app. Um, you can also find more about me on my website, which is jennaspinelli.com. So J-E-N-N-A-S-P-I-N-E-L-L-E.com. And now uh, what about you, CB? I'll just throw my, uh, just I guess my overall business. I do everything under the umbrella of conceptualpodcasting.com I like it because it just rolls off the tongue yeah and and you've you've done some some great work uh you you really you could tell that you have a passion and an enthusiasm like I feel like I I feel your energy come through even though you're not like on the mic on the shows that you produce I feel like I see you with like a big smile on your face when you're you're putting all the all the content together oh thank you so much Jenna Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll be coming to your feed with more interviews with creators. And we'll be back next month with another roundup. So get in touch with us anytime through the Podcast Brunch Club. And happy listening. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support more connections in the world, please consider throwing us a few bucks on Patreon or make a one-time donation. I'll put the links in the show notes. Every little bit helps. Also, a quick thanks to our early organizational partners. Podbean. You can go to podbean.com pbc for one free month of podcast hosting. Listen Notes is a podcast search engine. Podchaser, the IMDB of podcasts. Critical Frequency the podcast network for everyone else, The Venn Media, a weekly newsletter for curious minds, and Lintigua Williams and Company Network, beautiful ideas in motion. Finally, some credits for this episode. Stevie Zampanti of Conceptual Podcasting does our audio editing. Music is from Chad Crouch and Misael Ghana, downloaded from Free Music Archive. I'm Adela, founder of Podcast Brunch Club. Thanks, and happy listening. <laughs>